Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Toby Hemmings. Coming to you from the studios of 2SER in Sydney, on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation and right around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Each week, we take a closer look at the business issues making the news. This program is made possible with the assistance of the UTS Business School. Are you thinking of quitting your job? Well, you're not alone. Overseas, it's being called the Great Resignation. People are switching careers or leaving the workforce despite the current labour market. This is being precipitated by a shift in priorities or a desire to pursue a dream job or an employer who is expecting too much from them during these times. This week, I'm speaking with people who have quit their job during COVID as we ask whether Australia will also face the big quit. Earlier today, I spoke with three people who have quit their jobs during the COVID-19 pandemic. Kat left her role in e-commerce during the latest Sydney lockdown. What led you to quit? Um, Well, I wanted to quit, I think, like, when the pandemic started, I was already kind of feeling like it wasn't really what I wanted to do and I wanted to look for something else. But then, yeah, it really because I guess a lot of people were losing their jobs and a lot of people even in my company as well. So then I was like, okay, let's just stick it out. I'm lucky to have a job, that kind of stuff. And I was like, I'll just stick it out until the pandemic's over and I kind of have a clear idea of what I want to do. And I was just like, I can maybe stay here and be comfortable and then, you know, decide what I want to do in the interim. But then this recent lockdown seems like it's going to be kind of the last one or I hope it's going to be the last one. Has has working from home or has, has like the current lockdown or the last one, has that influenced your decision to quit at all? Um, I mean, I think a bit. I think it would have been harder to quit if I was in the office because I have like a really good team and we're really social and it's really nice seeing everyone every day. But then also I really like working from home. Like I don't really have a problem with it. I'm not upset working from home. I don't know. I think the lockdown aspect of it maybe has given me... Time to think, like, okay, this is finally coming to an end, um, and it's not really what, what I want to be doing. Do you think, like, you would have you would have left your job sooner if COVID hadn't happened? Um, I feel, I don't know. I think, I think it's hard. I actually don't know if I would have. I feel like I might have been sucked, sucked into it for longer, to be honest, because I think... Regardless of working from home, the lockdown aspect of, like, not being able to go out and socialise, see your friends and, like, distract yourself from your nine-to-five, um, like, not having that kind of forces you to be alone a lot and, like, alone with your thoughts. And then you just think as well back to, like, how long we've been in this lockdown for, you know, feeling like I'm in the same position that I was two years ago um, and just feeling like I want it to change. Whereas I think if we weren't in... If we didn't have this second lockdown, I probably just would have been more comfortable because, like... I, Regardless of, like, the work aspect, my life would have been more fast-paced and, like, exciting. Nassadal explained to me how working from home was draining on his mental health. What were you doing prior to the pandemic? Uh, so I graduated from uni, like, when things were starting to become a bit of a problem here. Um, um, and then I went straight into what started as freelance work and then turned into 
like a more regular role doing digital, like graphic design, digital design, um, digital comms work. At what point did you quit? I quit at the end of last year. It yeah. was a company that was running remotely, like entirely. But yeah, so I quit at the end of last year after, um, you know, a particularly stressful project that was just complicated by COVID. Like we were running in-person events. When you quit, did you have like a, a plan afterwards or were you just like, you know what, I'm just, I'm just sick of this. I'm sick of the whole working from home thing. No for me, thank you. I thought I had a plan. What I thought I was going to do was quit and then take like two to three weeks off and use that time to just kind of recover because I think I was really burnt out and my mental health wasn't so great after I, like I got to the point of quitting because of that. So Mm -hmm. I needed time to recover. And then I thought I was going to just kind of launch into a bit of a job search. But I realized through that process that like, I don't know what I want to do. And I also don't really want to start any new job working from home just because it's inherently really shitty and stressful but also because I think like most people and like I'm living in Fairfield so I'm in an LGA of concern and have been under a bit more more restriction than some people might have been it's really draining to work from home like I I'm the kind of person that sees work as I work so I can live not live to work that kind of Mm -hmm. thing And working from home just makes it really hard to do that. Liam left his job when he felt that his workplace wasn't taking a COVID outbreak seriously. At what point did you decide to leave and what do you reckon was the big motivator? Was there one single thing or was it just a... Yeah, the motivator to leave. So I was away on a Friday and that Friday, I believe, was when the ACT got out lockdown order. I came in on Monday and it was all all right. It was, it was, they wanted social distancing. They wanted masks on at all times. And they were very clear that this job is important to keep Australia running during this pandemic. And then I came in on Wednesday and on Wednesday, there'd been a new health order from ACT Health. And it said that if we sat at our desks, we didn't need to wear masks. Our, our desks, we're not 1.5 metres away from one another. People were taking that as a cue to just walk to the toilet, walk to smoker, walk to their mate's desk without their masks on. And our bosses kept telling me they can't enforce it any heavier. They can't ask people to just keep their masks on at their desk. All they can do to people is just remind them. Like, And it just came off as a total disregard. And I had quite a little panic attack and... I, yeah, I just left. These experiences aren't unique and they illustrate how employees' relationship with their employers has changed over the pandemic. Let's move now to this week's expert. My name is Kyung Hee Yu. I'm an associate professor at the UTS Business School. I'm a specialist in employment relations and work in employment relations issues in general. I guess I'll begin by saying, well, in in the US and around the world, there has been a phenomenon of people quitting their jobs over the past year. They've given it different names, the big quit or the great resignation. In July, 4 million Americans resigned, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, And the research firm Gartner has found that an estimated 83% of organizations are detecting signs of higher turnover. What do you think is driving people to quit? 
in these uncertain times overseas? So before I go into the reasons why people may be quitting during the pandemic, I just wanted to point out that in Australia, at least for the moment, we're not actually witnessing a mass exodus of workers. And instead, what we're witnessing is actually the reverse, which is the ABS statistics just released in August say uh, that workers are actually staying put with their employers. So there's more worker loyalty. But that said, among the workers who have quit, we're seeing a very large gender disparity. For example, in 2020, two and a half more times women quit their jobs for family reasons than did men. And in 2021, actually three and a half more times more women quit their jobs for that reason than did men. That said, what I'm wary of is that we may be seeing what what is beginning to happen in the U.S. as they open up, where the impact of COVID has been more severe and lasted longer than in Australia. But if COVID continues to disrupt our work lives in Australia, we may be seeing a high turnover in workers. And there are various reasons for this. It's not solely explained by workers refusing to get jabbed, which there is a vaccine mandate in the U.S., but it it turns out that only one in 10 workers are saying that they will quit their jobs if they're forced to get a job. One reason that, that we can see in essential workers, for example, is that you know essential workers are essential only in name in many cases. We have really failed to protect our essential workers. I also want to point out that Retention has always been difficult in sectors like aged care and childcare and retail workers. And on top of that, during the pandemic, they have been exposed uh, disproportionately to the virus and we don't support them enough. And this has also a gender dimension because we know that women are disproportionately working in these sectors. We also know that workers have experienced hostility and abuse on the job, particularly as it falls on them to enforce COVID safety measures. And this has happened at a time when overall we have a heightened awareness of the importance of mental health and well-being. And so workers may feel that it's not, it's just not worth it to go to work and, and face this abuse. There's also, particularly uh, in sectors like hospitality, where when restrictions have loosened, there's been a high vacancy rate and employers have struggled to really hire more workers at short notice. And so what happens is you see existing workers taking on more work. And so that leads to worker fatigue and burnout. Our jobs are not designed taking into account that people have caring responsibilities. The norm is that the jobs sort of pretend like people don't have lives outside of work or caring responsibilities in particular. And like I said, women in particular have suffered from taking the brunt of caring responsibilities during the pandemic when there's been homeschooling. And so they've had to ensure that the children continue to learn and also organize you know, recreational activities for them during a difficult time. And for women with jobs that don't allow them to work from home, it leaves them little choice but 
but to quit their jobs. Also for women who have been able to work from home, you know, the lack of support or even acknowledgement of the fact that they're doing a double shift can lead them to quit. That said, there's also a lot of research that looks at, you know, the meaning of work has changed for people as they are confronting deaths and illness during the pandemic, and that people start valuing other things and not just economic advancement. So we're seeing that people are valuing more work-life balance is valued more. People are thinking of self-actualization. So we've seen more adults coming back to school to try and develop themselves. You also see talk of, you know, this mentality, this sort of shift in mentalities about uh, how there's a you only live once philosophy among millennials. You know, we don't know how true that is for use in Australia, but it's worth pointing out and it's worth researching to what extent, you know, that's happening among people. The phenomenon's largely occurring overseas. In Australia, I think for the year ending Feb 2021, job mobility was at its lowest recorded rate. I think it was down to 7.5% of employed people. So that's about 390,000 people who changed businesses or employers. At the same time, though, the JobKeeper program was subsidizing wages and keeping that employee-employer relationship tethered together. Do you think that JobKeeper and wage subsidies like that have played a part in keeping people from moving on from their employment as opposed to what we're seeing overseas? Absolutely. JobKeeper and other subsidies will have helped for people to retain that employment relationship with the employer, which was what JobKeeper was all about, was about retaining that relationship so that that even if you are stood down temporarily, that the employer can call you back and you have that assurance. And with JobKeeper gone, we can definitely predict that should lockdowns and other restrictions continue, that we will see that relationship starting to wear down and become more tenuous. Let's move to working from home. It's become the new normal. A review from the Productivity Commission last week found that over the past two years, working from home jumped from 8% to 40% of employees. Do you think that there's an expectation now that as we eventually reopen, employees expect this from the companies, some form of hybrid workplace, and if not, they're potentially not willing to work for them? There are survey results that suggest that, and the percentages vary between 17% to um, almost a quarter of workers saying that they're ready to quit if they were forced to come back full time and forced to physically work in offices again. And so I think we can safely say that the nine to five full time physical presence in the office space is quite past us. And employers are going to, if the work allows, uh, have to allow people to work from home from time to time. What the research on working from home suggests that, you know, it's a great thing when you have that flexibility and it's voluntary and you choose when you want to do it. But what we've seen during the pandemic is that people have been robbed of that choice and have been forced to work at home under situations that are not really conducive to working from home, especially if you have young children um, homeschooling and you're having to do that double shift. We can see that there is both a reluctance to go back to the office, but at the same time, 
a, a yearning, like you were telling me, Toby, to go back to the office when, when you can choose to do so. And so I think that having that option of going to work for that social connectivity that the workplace affords us, that really can't be replaced by Zoom meetings, uh, would be really important. So a hybrid work model, I think, is the way to go. During my research for this episode, I came across the theory of job embeddedness as to why people stay in their roles. And one of those factors that keeps people embedded in employment is those relationships you form with the people you work with. So it's, it's chats around the water cooler, it's lunches, it's, it's Friday drinks, it's being able to be in studio here, for example. Now, these social aspects of work are currently a bit challenged. Friday drinks over Zoom isn't exactly the same thing. You, you lack that sense of camaraderie. Some of the people I've spoken to have said that's been a part of why they've left their workplace is that they would have stayed, they believe, if they had continued that social connection at work. But just working from home means that those connections have become untethered. Do you think that people without that connection feel less of a desire to continue working in the same workspaces. Yeah. When I was a PhD student studying work and employment, we used to read things written by sociologists of work where they would have these thick descriptions about how people in factories and essentially doing very repetitive work driven by conveyor belts really would invent games at work to play with workmates. And that that what became the social connection that held them together and also allowed them to collectively organize and resist managerial orders and, and rules that impinged upon their freedom. And I think we underestimate, and particularly employers and, and maybe even HR professionals, underestimate the importance of that. And it may be playful, but it's really quite something that that allows us to be productive at work. I think it's very difficult to replicate that in work from home situations, especially when you can't really visit each other or or meet from time to time around the water cooler or whatever it is. And I mean, it does seem like it's also compounded by it's not exactly just been a random 18 months where we've all decided to work from home. It has been for a lot of people that that burnout has really cut into most workers, I would say. Now, in terms of the work-to-life aspect, do you think that this moment has really seen a shift that people are focusing less on career and more on other aspects of their life, such as making sure their mental health is okay? Oh, absolutely. The attention to mental health is maybe one of the valuable things that we've gained during the pandemic. We've all realized how fragile our mental health is. And if there was a stereotype or a bias thinking that, you you know, only certain people are at risk of mental health issues. I think that as a society, we've now learned that everyone can be at risk depending on the situations that they face. And really, you know, the history of modern society has been this bifurcation of work and life where these activities were organized in different spaces. We acquired different identities when we went to work and then when we come back to, to our family and our homes, we have that at-home identity. The fusion of these two spaces is something that we weren't prepared for as a society. And I can't say that the working from home arrangements that employers had to really scramble together with the advent of the pandemic has been ideal. And to be fair, they didn't have the time to really think through how these spaces 
could be combined and what kind of support structures they can provide workers to make this work. So we've got a long way to go in terms of figuring out that happy medium. Do you think for a lot of businesses, though, the priority was just surviving. They may have lost sight of how to keep employees engaged and and retain them by keeping them engaged simply because for certain businesses, particularly say if you're in retail, say if you're in hospitality, it's just getting through this time. I do sympathize with particularly smaller businesses that may not have had a large HR department really having thought through how to motivate workers and how to keep that connection, how to get cooperation across different workers. You know, we're all used to working in teams now. And so teamwork requires that social connectivity and the face-to-face interaction between team members. And that's all gone to Zoom. And if you're a large company and you thought a lot about these issues in your daily life prior to the pandemic, you would have been more prepared. But I do sympathize with small businesses, particularly in sectors hit hard by COVID, where, like you say, the first priority was to stay afloat and to be able to keep these workers as opposed to work out how best to support their flexible work arrangements, how to give them manageable workloads. So those are issues that employers will have to think about if they want to hold on to their workers as we start recovering. As we talk about these types of roles where where people have had flexibility and still in in other parts of the world have quit despite having additional flexibility, despite finding it difficult in terms of working from home or in terms of not feeling as engaged. There are also people who I've spoken with who have told me that the lack of COVID-19 safety protocols in the workplace are big drivers why they've left. So the inability of enforcement of public health orders, for example, if you're a business, or suddenly becoming the person enforcing it and having people not respecting. It's this sort of thing where people who might be quitting, there may be like a class element to it, where it's people who have the luxury of being able to say no to work, but also people who might not be having those experiences of working on the front line, that people who are leaving their jobs overseas may be able to afford leaving their jobs. Do you think that there is a bit of a class element to any form of discussion about quitting during a pandemic? Oh, definitely. There's always a class element to when it comes to work and employment and how we're able to control where we work or when we work or whether we work or not, right? And income levels and the wealth in the family that gets passed from generation to generation, all of that influences whether you know, you're going to put up with the situation that you've been forced into or whether you've got other options like quitting and going back to university or quitting and finding another job where that allows you to work from home and have that safety around you. And so we do owe a lot to the workers who can't quit their jobs and have to continue being essential workers and particularly healthcare workers. Do you think that COVID has led to employees expecting more from employers? We've seen what the past 18 months have led to. We've seen that people have been expected to work from home to be flexible, but there's still been increased demand put upon them to maintain productivity, even though they may be performing, you know, these gendered roles of caregiving. Do you think that now we potentially are entering a point where an employee is like, look, not only does this matter more to me, but 
uh, in terms of work-life balance, but I expect that an employer has to match what I need if they expect me to work for them. Absolutely. I think you've hit the nail on the head and we're seeing that already in places like the US where there's a renewed movement to increase the minimum wage, for example, and there's there's the labor shortage. And in Australia, we've, we've always had a tight labor market and what's helped us through that is migration. We have developed, unfortunately, a reputation for letting our migrant workers down and it's going to take years uh, for Australia to build back its its image as a nation that is practicing duty of care towards migrants. You know, the longer it takes for migrant workers to come back to Australia, the more we will be experiencing a higher labor shortage than usual. And workers will demand more in terms of flexibility, in terms of values, uh, in terms of treatment and fairness at work. One of the things that employers should be thinking about today and after the pandemic is how to re- strategize to rethink their strategy around hiring. Businesses tend to think they have a model ideal worker in mind and this ideal worker, you know, has no complications in their lives or has no caring responsibilities or is going to be this plug and play worker who has the right background and training to be really performing at a high level from the get-go. And in HR and employment relations, we talk a lot about the value of, for lack of a better word, unconventional workers. So those workers who may not have the educational qualifications or the training necessary to do the work from the first day. Instead, if you give workers who are unconventional a chance and hire them and focus on worker development, you may find that these workers are actually really good at their jobs and have a lot to bring to the table. So I just want to mention that we may need to rethink and think outside the box when it comes to hiring strategies in a tight labor market. That's all for today. Thank you to my guests, Kyunghee Yu, Kat, Liam, and Nasado. You can catch the full show online wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends or leave a review. I'm your host, Toby Hemmings and I'll catch you back here next week.